Hi and welcome to the Authorised Podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier and of course here thanks to our podcast partners, CSCG, it's tax time. We all know that, uh, how you go about uh, dealing with it. Uh, it can be done in very, very many different ways but I'll give you a suggestion of the best way to do it. Give CSCG a ring right now, Double nine seven four eight triple three. Check out their website, CSCG. You'll find out uh, all about them, all about the services they have to offer and how they can help you and they certainly will double nine seven four eight triple three CSCG proud supporters of our authorised podcast. Today we're bringing you a man by the name of uh, Kenny McElwain. Uh, Kenny has a, a, a gut-wrenching story in many ways to tell you. The story is uh, outlined in his book called No Defence, which was written by uh, Lauren Wilkinson Barnes uh, with, the, with the obviously assistance of, uh, of Kenny. Kenny's story is one uh, that I think will touch everyone's heart uh, and will you know, probably make your stomach churn at the same time. Uh, no Defence is a story about uh, Kenny's uh, life uh, as a child abuse survivor. Uh, it goes through the Australian Defence Force. It goes through many other areas. Uh, it is a very much a, a raw story. Uh, Kenny uh, doesn't speak a lot to, to the media. He has done some interviews, but uh, he was good enough to give us some time and have a chat about uh, putting this book together, No Defence, about his life, how he's dealt with it, uh, and uh, and what's come out the other side of it. And uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating chat. I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this one uh, in, in many very and different ways, uh, I guess, to, to what we usually do here on the Authorised Podcast. The book is called No Defence. The man is Kenny McElwain. Let's meet him now on the Authorised Podcast. Firstly, let me just say thank you for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, look, not a problem at all. Yep. And and I just want to say at the start, it's a it's a it's a gutsy performance by you uh, to uh, to put all this to lay all this out uh, in the public arena. Yeah, it took me a while to get the you know I suppose the guts to do it, but I had a lot of help behind me, like family and friends, so yep. made it a bit made it made it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Ken, this is this is obviously this is your story. It's your story to tell. It's not for other people to read it and to and to uh, to take out of it what they take out of it. When you sat down to write the book, what did you want to get out of it, and what did you want people to get out of the experience of reading the book? Yeah, um, like Lauren wrote the book for me because um, it was just a funny story that I, I, I remember um, when I first had to do a, a stat deck for the lawyers. And I, I used to sit down and start writing it and then I'd be crying and I'd write it. And in the end, I had a floor full of paper and, you know, a handful of tears and I couldn't do it. And I, I got a friend of mine to write the stat deck for me. I blotted it out and she dictated it all for me. Yeah. So that's why I long end up writing the book because it's not possible. I, I, you know, I just get too, um, you get too wrapped up in it and it just takes you away. Yeah. For, for me, it was really... It wasn't just about the abuse. It's also the motivation behind that I got through. I mean, it was tough, but I got through it. And I just wanted to share that with survivors because, you know, I've heard too many stories of people who have committed suicide who just couldn't cope. And I just wanted to, like, share with them that, you know, listen, guys, you can get through this. It's going to be tough, but you can do it. And it just sort of gives them a bit of um, motivation in, in a sense that, this subject itself, it, it, you know, it's difficult for people to talk about, let alone listen to a story of purpose, you know, like a person's sexual abuse. You know, that, that was sort of my motivation is just for the survivors that you can get through it. 
it's it's brutal and and the yep. story the story's brutal and the story's graphic and and you don't you don't hide anything you don't uh, don't sugarcoat no. anything because there's there's clearly no point in that uh, what's been the reaction from people since you since I mean not only in the book form but you've also told your story on some television shows and stuff uh, what 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 sort of people's reaction been to you uh, and people have experienced similar things the, the two biggest things is a lot of people you know say how good on your can, you know, you, you're helping and it, it's great. And, that, and then there's been some people who have been abused who have contacted me, um, either via email or just personally. I think that's good in a sense for me because at least if one person gets the benefit out of it and stops them from, you know, doing something bad to themselves, I mean, yeah. it, it's really good. But, you know, I've had I've been contacted from, you know, like, uh, an army sergeant in America, some, you know, defence people in Australia, also some other younger people who aren't in the defence or anything but have been um, sexually abused have contacted me. You know, like it's just sometimes you get people will make, uh, send me an email and you think, oh, how did they find out? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so the word must spread. Yeah. Um, are you yeah. are you comfortable in that role of, of, of helping people? I mean, because you've, you're clearly still dealing with the pain of your own abuse. Uh, look, you know, yeah, I, I suppose it's difficult in a sense that, um, like, I'm not I'm not cured. I still have terrible trouble with um, nightmares, you know, sleeping, um, triggers, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that that's part and parcel. But I went to one of the it was a defence thing they called DART, it was a repatriation thing and I got an official apology from the rear admiral and there was a facilitator there and he said to me after we finished that, you know, can you, you've got the ability to be able to talk to people, you should share, you know, some of your um, story and motivation and, you know, like that. I thought, oh, well, you know, yeah, thank you, but can I do it? And then, you know, you get encouragement from your family and that. So that, that sort of helped me. The other thing is also for me to do it, I, I went and got psychological and like, I go to a psychologist and a, and a um, psychiatrist regularly. And that really helps because you, you've got to get your mental health right. You can't go doing stuff like this, I don't think. Mm. So, you know, that made a huge difference. But I mean, doing things like talking to me on this podcast and and going on television and and doing talks to people and and even answering emails, is is reliving so much of that again for you? And I mean, that must again does that is that dealing with it again? I mean, like almost almost repeating it on yourself again. I think the the thing is, I don't talk specifically about the abuse. That's what really triggers me. Yeah, I'm talking. You know, if, if I talk about getting through it and what motivates me and what things I do, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mad athlete. I don't have a problem talking about that. Yep. Um, I don't have a problem talking about people going to get mental health help. You know, I don't have a problem talking about getting through things and not having good night's sleep. Um, but, I, but I don't, you know, I just call it trauma. You know, the trauma itself is we just use the word trauma that, and no, I don't have to go into it. If they want to go into it, you know, read the book. Yeah. Because that, that was a, you know, we had to then give the details in the book. And, yeah. that, and that's how I cope with it, um, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, oh, that's it. I mean, uh, compartmentalising it is is probably the, the the way that to go about putting it putting it in a place where it sits and then moving on to the next part of your life. When you had the the kind of I guess it's like an epiphany where you 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 thought, okay, I, I can't I can't live with this anymore. I actually have to tell people what happened. Do you look back on that? Do you look back <laughs> yeah. on that moment and go, "Was that? Is that a? Is that now a you know a light bulb moment or whatever you want to call it for no, you?" It was. It, it was more than that, um, Kevin. It was. Um, it was April two thousand and eleven. Yeah, I forget which that was on TV, and there was a story about a young girl who was being videoed um, in the navy by uh, a, a, you know one of the blokes videoing having sex with another. Uh, uh, another Navy guy and then they spread it all around the place and um, it was called the Skype incident and yeah, I, that I was watching that on the news that night and I don't know, something hit, something just triggered me and I started swearing I was using the, you know, terrible words the S's and C's and my wife said to me Gee, what, what's going on here? And I, I went right off and she sent me to my room and then I came that was the trigger that was the thing that I then tell my wife and my four daughters what happened to me. Um, so I hid this for 40 years. But it was that one particular show that triggered it. And then in the Royal Commission, they were telling me that that brought out hundreds of other uh, people as well. Yeah, so that was the moment that came through and it, and it, wasn't, um, it wasn't pleasant. How, um, did, how did how did you live with it for that amount of time? Do you do you look back on that and 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 wonder how the hell you did that? No, I you know like it, 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 just briefly like it's in the book, but just briefly, the whole story was covered up in the navy, and then they sent me to a psychiatric ward in Concord, which was the repat hospital for the defence. My mother and father came to visit me, and because no one would believe me when I told them about the rapes and. So I thought, I'll tell mum and dad, they can get me out of here. I just needed to get away. And then when I told my father, he just beat the hell out of me for lying and, you know, and it was terrible. Yeah. And um, the male nurses took him away. And then I went back to my room. I'm standing in the doorway looking out the window. And you can see the river from the, um, the barracks down at the bottom of the Concord. And I basically was sort of as if... You know, God was standing beside me. I said to him, no one's going to believe me. He said, you're the only one that believes me. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a deal with you. You look after me and I'm never going to tell another soul ever. And that was, that was it. Uh, I, I just then shut up. It's funny when we look back at those 40 years, all the triggers that I had and all the little funny things that I did because of what we now know as PTSD. And I just live with that. And I was lucky in the sense that I used running as a relief, and I didn't use booze or drugs or anything else. Yeah. So, you know, I was lucky there, yeah. That's why I kept it secret. When you come out with a story like that, you, you often, you know, I was back to the old, are people going to believe me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It, it must feel different now that, that people not only believe you, but, you know, that, that, that action's been taken and, and uh, you're sitting where you are today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's why I really need to speak out, um, Kevin, because something has to be said, you know. I mean, this, this particular topic is, is, is a taboo topic, yeah. you know. 
Um, pe- people are alarmed even talking about it. You know, like you, you can't talk about this sort of subject. But if you don't talk about it, I mean, it's just going to be hidden behind all the time and the perpetrators are just going to get away with it, you know. So, yeah, that's why I, like, I intended to speak out about it. I mean, I don't have any qualms anymore about that. You, you can't cover it up all the time. And fortunately, it's it's now it is now coming out. Is is um, I mean that that must be satisfying to you uh, in in sort of a almost a perverse way that people are now talking about it. People are now saying yes, this is still happening, and and yes, we need yeah. to do something about it. Yeah, which is good. You know, I mean, I, I went to the royal commission and spoke to the commissioners about my story. Um, so I was a part of that. That was really good. I went to the apology at Parliament House after they had the Royal Commission. But there were so many people there that were still broken. I mean, even though they spoke to the Royal Commission and stuff like that, but just, there was broken souls everywhere. It was just, um, you know, it's still too much hidden. And, and it probably, I don't know, you know, it, it may stay that way, but... Really in difficult in that in that regard. Yeah. Me, anyway. Well, I mean, you you said it earlier in this in this interview. You said uh, you're not cured. I mean, I, I don't think it's something you cure. I mean, it's something you obviously just you learn to you learn yeah. to live with in some way. Well, you know, like like I said, like, I'm not healed. Yeah. Um. You know, it, like it doesn't mean that I'm okay. And they call it now PT. I've got PTSD. So, you know, I, I've got I get triggers. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Sometimes, you know, someone might say something, you know, they just bring up their terrible intrusive memory, flashbacks, like nightmares, <laughs> night sweats are terrible, you know, anxiety. I have mental and physical reactions as well. Like it's just, it, it, that, that's sort of the side effects of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I talk about the triggers, like one of the things that really I think, mentally deep down for the 40 years that no one ever believed my story. Like when I, I told the doctor in the Navy, um, told my mum and dad, no one would believe my story. So through the years when I, when I hit it all, I worked for a paint company for 20 years and then I worked for another company for 10 years. I used to keep a copy of every memo back in those days and then emails and keep them in boxes. I used to have them in the... Um, removal boxes and we had I think 12 house moves in in the in the 30 years my family and I end up carrying something like a dozen of those boxes full of emails and and memos going back all those 30 plus years because and I memorized them all if someone said to me oh you didn't give me this I'd say hang on yes I did and I'd know which box it is and where it was wow and you know that was one of the things that the psychologist said to me you, you don't need that anymore, Ken. People do believe you. It took me, I think, three months. I shredded a whole lot. I filled 13 of those great big plastic oh, garbage God. bags. Yeah. Good God. And one of my daughters said to me, you just shredded your whole life away. And I thought, you know, isn't it funny? That was one, one trigger that like, it just takes up so much of your um, mental existence just because you think no one's going to believe you, yeah. you know. But a lot, that's what that's what a lot of these survivors go through, and I think you know that's that's the difficulty of it. One thing I, I'm imagining that uh, that a lot of people talk to you about and ask you about is the reaction from your wife and your and your and your four girls. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was a bit tough at first for them. 
um, you know, the, my, my daughters were in tears a lot. My eldest daughter said to me, I don't understand why you um, covered it up. Why did you hide it? Because I used to always say to the girls, you know, like if you do something wrong, just tell us and we'll get through it. Yeah. And yet, yet you've covered this up. So I wrote a letter to it, basically my four daughters explaining why I had to cover it up. And, and, and you know, it's in the book about the night when that issue happened at the um, psychiatric ward with my parents. That's why I covered it up because no one believed me. And then my youngest daughter, she's, she's a bit of an athlete freak like me. She said to me, she doesn't understand why I gave up. Like, I never give up, you know, when I train, when I do events, I never give up, I, you know. And then I basically had to explain to them why I tried to commit suicide, like why I gave up. And then and I explained that in the letter, and that's in the book as well. I won't go through it now with you, but that, that just explains. So, yeah, they were the two things that they questioned me. And, you know, they're the only person of all these years now that have ever asked anything like that. Yeah. My two, two daughters, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I've had a tough time over it because, you know, why did I hide all this from her for all that time? Your dad your dad turned into his dad and uh, the way those things kind of work out, there was every possibility that you could have turned into the same sort of person that your father was. Yeah. It's funny you say that, Kevin, and, you know, like I always read things about court cases that, Someone says, oh, yeah, but, you know, I hadn't done to me, so that's why I did it. Uh, to me, I reckon that's wrong. Uh, that, that's what, are they, what was that TV show where he said it was the, the two and a half babies where he said that's a crock of shit. Yeah. You know, you, you, you really, you shouldn't, you, you can't do that. You can't say that. Look, you know, I think my father was just evil. That's the way he was. I'd yeah. forgiven them. I'd forgiven him. And I'd forgiven the, the two, the two, um, rapist in the Navy because they were just human beings, but they were evil. That, that's, that's the way they are, yeah. you know. I have difficulty in forgiving institutions but because it's not the people who go to work every day and work in, in, in you know, like the institution. It's the, it's the CEOs who cover it all up all the time, you know. So that's the only thing I have. I have I, I can't forgive. You could very yeah. easily have become a statistic of all that, but fortunately you've, you've found the voice to, to not fall, yeah. fall into that area, which I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are uh, eternally grateful for the fact that you did that. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. How is you know, uh, like I said, yeah, how, how is life at the life moment, life. Ken? Is, uh, tell, tell me about what life's like at the minute. Um, it's... It, it, uh, I'd class it as good, but, you know, other people look at it and go, oh, geez, like, I don't sleep much. I have sweats. I still have nightmares. You know, I, I don't go out, um, <laughs> I, you know, keep to myself. I love I love it when I go out into the outback and do cycling and treks and stuff. Yeah. You know, but that, that's just me. That's how I cope, and, and I'm happy with that. Like, I, I train every day. I went for a run this morning because I knew that it relaxed me before the interview. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is, that your, is that your happy place? Is running your happy place? Yeah. yeah. Well, running and riding and in the outback, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like I know whether you noticed, I, I did the Darwin to Broome cycle solo. Yep. That was, that was, that was motivated by, the, you know, that, that um, facilitator that said to me, you know, to talk about the abuse and et cetera. And I was sitting outside my, um, 
house in Sydney thinking, you know, like if I had a group of young teenagers, how do you, you can't talk to them about sexual abuse. It, they just hit the off, off button. They wouldn't even listen. So I thought, you know, I need to talk to them about something extraordinary that you do physically, mentally strong. And I thought, oh, you know, I've done a 24-hour race. I did a couple of those. I've done Ironman triathlons. That's not – so that's when I come up with the idea of I thought I'll ride across the top of the world yeah. in Tibet. And then I thought, no, I'll do it in Australia. And that's how the idea came up because I figured if you talk about that and, you you know, then you can talk about other things. So that's how that, that came up about. And that particular ride was so good for me, um, you know, to help me with my demons and – I don't know, there was that little motto that said, you know, sometimes you find yourself in the middle of nowhere and then sometimes in the middle of nowhere you find yourself. It was a little saying I read. That was my little motivation for that trip. You know, exercise is my um, happy moments. It would be naive to think that you could put this behind you and go ahead and do whatever it is that, you know, the next part of your life because it's always going to be part of what of who you are and what you are and and uh, as you yeah. head into the future. Are you you're comfortable with that, Ken? Yeah, I am. I am. You know, look, I get some really good help from um, my psychologist here. You know, I had Jan in Sydney for seven years and then I've got a new one here now. Um, and you, you need that. You just need that mental you know, like the mental side of it help yep. just to get you through things. I mean, sometimes we don't understand fully what our thoughts are. Like, you know, I can go to sleep, no worries, but then I wake up with nightmares. I've got no control over that. Um, I've got a tattoo on my arm that says, a different time, a different place, I'm safe now. Because if a, a, a trigger comes up, you know, like it might be just wind blowing on the back of my neck from a air conditioning and that sets me off I just look down on my arm and I can read that and go hang on you're in a different time Kenneth yeah. you know you're in a different place it's, it's, you're okay you know that that sort of mental health I used to have this dream once it was and it was horrific for me and all it was was a, a bloke standing beside me with his arm around me and he was in a grey pinstripe suit and he kept saying to me I love you, um, Kenny, Um, I'm never going to leave you. And I used to think it was one of the abusers, and I used to get so upset. And, you know, like this went on for months. And I never, I probably, you know, I didn't sleep much. I was sweat. It was was horrible. And then on the third visit to my um, psychologist, she looked at me and she said to me, what do you wear to work? And I said, pinstripe suit. She said, that's you hanging on to the young Kenny, saying that you're never going to let him go. You'll always look after him and you love him. It's not anyone else. It was the older you. And, you know, if I hadn't had that psychological help, I wouldn't have understood that and could have had that nightmare for the rest of your life. You know, it was sort of – and that was just – we we both laughed. It was such a good moment. Uh, That's why it's so important for all survivors to – before you want to tackle any of these tough things, get help either from a psychologist, psychiatrist, or you know another mental health person. Um, that's that's amazing. Uh, look, it's been a, 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 I won't say it's been a joy talking to you, but it's been it's been in, yeah. uh, incredibly enlightening talking to you. Uh, much to admire about uh, the way you've gone about this. So uh, words kind of escaped me a bit, to be honest, to to kind of describe. Um, 
what you're going through yep. and what you what you got ahead of you. I, I, you know, good luck, Ken. I, I think it's fantastic what you've done, and yep. good luck for the future. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Um, can I just throw in a bit about Bravehearts? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't know much about Bravehearts at all. My daughter, my eldest daughter, did, and and it wasn't until um, people started giving me some donations and stuff, and I thought, well, you know. And then I looked into it further. You know, the, the whole organisation is basically the only charity in Australia that are dedicated to sexual abuse and, and looking after all our children and the survivors who are older that are coming out with what happened to them. Yeah. Um, and that's why I, I, I really push so hard with, with that. Even when I sell my books through my website, I, I give a dollar to Bravehearts because, you know, they might help save so many more kids. It would be really good. You know? Yeah. Well, thanks to Kenny for his time. Uh, he is a, uh, obviously a, a man with a, a, an incredible story to tell, uh, as I mentioned, uh, at times very raw, uh, very brutal, and uh, it's all outlined in the book No Defence, uh, which is available. And congratulations to Kenny and to Lauren Wilkinson-Barnes on putting that very important book together. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, and I hope you'll join me again for the next of our uh, authorised podcast uh, when we'll uh, delve into a little bit of crime in the next one with a very talented author by the name of uh, Catherine Firkin. So that's coming up on the uh, on the authorised podcast. With thanks to our very good friends at CSCG. As I said, it is tax time, end of financial year. They are the people you need to talk to. Double nine seven four eight triple three. Go to the website, find out all about them and the services they have to offer. It is cscg.com.au. They'll help you with your accounting and your taxation situation. Good luck with that. Uh, until the next time we speak on the authorised podcast, take care of yourself. Listener.